Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Mohammed Mirandi. He is a professor at the University of Tehran, and he is currently in Vienna as an advisor to the Iranian delegation at the talks to restore the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. Professor Mirandi, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Aaron. So as we were speaking, there has been an impasse in the talks. They're on a bit of a break, but they will likely resume. And the European delegation is essentially blaming Iran for this. I want to read you a statement from a statement put out by Britain, France, and Germany. They say this, quote, over five months ago, Iran interrupted negotiations. And since then, Iran has fast forwarded its nuclear program. This week, it has backtracked on diplomatic progress made. Iran is breaking with almost all the difficult compromises crafted in months of tough negotiations and is demanding substantial changes to the text. And what they go on to say is that basically these changes that Iran is allegedly demanding undermine the draft agreements that have already been reached between all parties. I'm wondering your response to that. So five months ago, Iran was entering uh, the election cycle. And when President Raisi was elected, it took a couple of months for him to assume power. And then he had to introduce his cabinet to parliament for approval. When the foreign minister was approved, then they had to bring about their own people, bring their own people to take charge of the different parts of the foreign ministry. And uh, it took time. So five months is not very long when you have a presidential election and especially when you want to discuss or negotiate something so important, so uh, controversial uh, in Iran. So uh, the fact that they don't take note of that shows that this text is full of spin anyway. The, tech, the text that they're alluding to was negotiated during the last couple of months, last few months of the Rouhani administration. And uh, Rouhani was a lame duck president anyway. And uh, his team negotiated a text, which was uh, a draft, which was full of brackets. And uh, that was not something that was approved. It was not a final text. So this administration went over that text and saw elements within the text that contravened the draft text, that contravened the JCPOA, the nuclear deal of 2015. And they changed those parts. And in addition, there were areas which were not discussed or left unclear, and they clarified those areas. So they changed according to some estimates, 20, 25, 30% of the draft text, but it is a draft text anyway. So there's nothing for the Europeans to complain about. And the Europeans can bring in their own texts. That's what the chief negotiator said. Dr. Bogheri. So they're not really in a position to complain. And then they talk about Iran advancing its nuclear program during this period. Well, of course, that's what it's going to do. Did the Europeans and the Americans stop their Trumpian, brutal, evil, uh, uh, maximum pressure 
sanctions directed at ordinary Iranians. These barbaric sanctions are continued to take lives and the Europeans know it, the Americans know it, and they don't care. For them, it's not important. The Iranian lives are not important. Getting their way is important. So they make no note of the fact that these maximum pressure sanctions are still in place and they have been in place during these five, six months. So what are they complaining about? In fact, if we go back, uh, let's go back a bit. After the JCPOA was signed, Obama violated the deal from day one. The very day that it was signed, I was here in Vienna. I was with Dr. Zarif and his team. I played the same role then as I do now. Dr. Zarif asked me to be a part of his team. I said, I'll only do media and he accepted. Dr. Bhargari, the new head of the team, he, that's exactly what he wanted uh, from, the, from the beginning. He said, will you speak to the media, the international media? And I said, sure. I, I, I wasn't, it's not as if I want to be here for these talks, but I, I accepted because they asked me to, and uh, so I, I couldn't say no. But in any case, I was here when the deal was signed and immediately the United States, the US Treasury sanctioned more people and more entities on the very same day. And I think Obama was preparing Iran for from day one to be prepared for more and more violations. And they did, and they passed the Iran Sanctions Act, which they promised the Iranian foreign minister not to do. The United States under Obama, behind closed doors, they threatened banks, they threatened financial institutions and other major companies not to work with Iran. And that is a direct violation of the nuclear deal because the nuclear deal basically means that the Americans not only should not block the um, normalization of Iranian trade and business, but that the Americans and the Europeans should facilitate it. So Obama signed one thing on paper, but behind the scenes, he was violating the deal in a very, very big way. In fact, by the time the Obama administration had come to an end, the, Iranian, the head of the Iranian Central Bank had said that we have not been able to do anything. We have not been able to uh, establish links with the international banking system. And that was probably the most important part of the JCPOA. So the Americans knew exactly what they were doing. They were violating the deal from day one, but let's forget that. Let's go to Trump. Trump, we all know, tore up the deal, right? So he left the deal. What did the Iranians do? The, these Europeans who in their statement nag about Iran advancing the nuclear program. The Iranians refrained from advancing their nuclear program when the Americans left the deal, tore up the deal and ordered the Europeans to violate the deal as well. So the Europeans and the Americans were imposing maximum pressure sanctions on Iran, which meant preventing Iran from importing medicine and food, from using the financial, international financial system, they actively prevented Iran from importing everything, no exceptions. They sometimes lie about exceptions, but there are no exceptions. Uh, I, I know about this because I asked about it when, when the Iranians were hit by Corona. And as you, if you, you'll probably remember at the beginning, Iran was one of the first countries to be hit after China it was hit very hard. 
the Iranians were unable to import uh, masks. They were unable to import ventilators. They were unable to import test kits. And uh, then later on vaccines, the Iranians were unable to transfer money to, to, to import vaccines. And then uh, they were unable to transfer money to import the, the, the machines in order to produce vaccines at home. And so of course they would always find ways to do it, but it would be delayed by months. And imagine, for example, you're a cancer patient, God forbid, or someone close to you or someone who you know is a cancer patient, God forbid. And then there's no medicine because they couldn't get the money to the company in time. Or many, com um, uh, many companies in Europe and the United States won't even sell medicine to Iran. I've seen the documents. Some of the documents were published online where certain uh, pharmaceutical companies in Europe said we can't sell anything to Iran. So when the Europeans were imposing and the Americans were imposing their maximum, their evil maximum, maximum pressure sanctions, which, was, which is like just engaging in war. It's just a quiet type of war. It's the type of war where you can kill people and get away with it. Like what they do in Syria with the Caesar Act, what they do in Venezuela and Cuba, what they and the Saudis do in Yemen. You know, we all know this or what they did in Iraq when it was when uh, the former US Secretary of State uh, Albright said killing half a million Iraqi kids was worth it meaning the sanctions regime, you know this as, better, as well as I, and I'm sure many of your viewers do as well. So they imposed this maximum pressure campaign. What did Iran do? Did it advance its nuclear program? No, Iran waited a full year so that the Europeans who are making all sorts of empty promises to Iran that they'll do something about it, so they'll find some mechanism to do trade. But they were lying from the beginning, from the very start that it was all a lie. And parts of the Iranian administration, the Rouhani administration were naive. Then after a year of waiting, so the other side is, is strangling women and children by the throat and they are still waiting. After a year, the Iranians began to decrease their commitments. Every two months they would end some of their commitments. And then after five stages, they entered a, a bulk of their commitments. They, they stopped implementing them. And then later on, the Iranian parliament, when right after um, Biden was elected president, Iran, the Iranian parliament effectively passed a law where if the United States does not abide by the deal, if the JCPOA is not implemented, the Iranians would no longer implement the deal at all. So while, the, while Western countries were strangling children, uh, you know, you, 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 when, when we think about murder, let's say when you see this serial killer, you think of someone really evil, like in a movie. Western governments do, that, do these to countries. They do it collectively to millions of people. They're, they're no different from what they were in the 19th century. They're worse in fact, because they are, they are imperial powers or they attempt to remain imperial powers, but with a lot more hypocrisy. Infinitely, the, in, the hypocrisy is infinitely greater. So the Iranians waited and then they 
began to push their nuclear program ahead, which is what many in Iran thought that the Iranians should have done just two, three, four, five months after the Americans left. So the Europeans don't say anything about the fact that it was the Iranians who showed patience. It was the Iranians who held back, not the Europeans. And the Iranian nuclear program was peaceful. It's within the boundaries of international law, but the Europeans and the Americans were strangling women and children and are strangling women and children as we speak. So they have, you know, these, these sophisticated men in, in suits and ties, they are as evil as any criminal regime that I can think of in human history. And I can think of quite a few. It's sort of like in the Iraq war, you know I, uh, that I was a volunteer during that war. You know that I, I, I survived two chemical attacks in that war. One can say Saddam gassed people, but in reality, it was Western countries that gassed people because they gave Saddam Hussein those chemical weapons. They gave him the political cover to use those weapons. They gave him the military intelligence to, to use it, to use the weapons effectively. They hid his massacre, for example, in Halabcha, which was in Iraq against ordinary Iraqis, Kurdish Iraqis. They hid it from sight until when? Until Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Then suddenly this all became news. And the US president spoke about how evil Saddam Hussein was and that he gassed his neighbors and his own people, whereas they were facilitating it. So the, the point I'm making here is that the Europeans have no moral standing whatsoever. And their statement is absolute nonsense. The previous administration near the end drafted, uh, drafted a, a, a text with these people full of brackets. It was nothing that, you know, until everything is agreed upon, nothing is agreed upon. So the new administration has every right to compare this draft text with the JCPOA, because the JCPOA is the agreement that the Iranians and the Europeans and the Americans and the Russians and the Chinese all agreed upon. That is the foundation of the agreement. So can the Europeans say that uh, the Iranians have gone beyond the nuclear deal? We'll show it. They can provide evidence that this part of the text goes beyond the nuclear deal. So what the Iranians want, and this is the, the, the key issue here, what the Iranians want is the implementation, the full implementation of the JCPOA, the nuclear deal. And what the Europeans want is a partial implementation. They want Iran to fully implement the deal while they can keep many of their sanctions, the Europeans under American leadership. That's basically what they want. And the Iranians, this administration in particular is having none of that. They're not saying we don't accept the deal, even though this administration has always been critical of the JCPOA. They believe that Iran gave too much. And, I, and I, I've always said from day one, when this agreement was signed, even though I like Dr. Zarif, he's a good guy, he's a smart guy, but from day one, I believed Iran gave too much. Uh, the Iranian president Rouhani was constantly saying that the, the economic situation is bad, or my priority is a nuclear deal. When you negotiate, you don't say these things. So they constantly weakened their own position. And during the last months of the government, Rouhani was desperate to get a deal. And that put a lot, that's like poison for the negotiators. So this team was looking at that text. It was not a final agreement. 
they compared it to the JCPOA and saw that it was, it was lacking. They have every right to make those changes. The Europeans thought they could get away with this and, and, and they couldn't. So the, the, the real issue is that this administration is saying, we accepted the deal. The deal is the JCPOA. Western countries, if you look at the Western media, they're saying the Iranians are, um, uh, they're unrealistic about their demands or uh, they're, they're demanding too much. What is Iran demanding that's too much? They're demanding the JCPOA. That was already agreed upon. Or they say that the Iranians have to compromise. Compromise about what? The JCPOA was the compromise. There is no other compromise. The other side violated the deal, not Iran. They have to come back to the JCPOA and implement the deal. So let me ask you what you think is going on with the U.S. Because as you mentioned, Biden criticized the so-called maximum pressure campaign from Trump. He talked about returning to the Iran nuclear deal if he got elected. After all, this was the deal that his previous administration under President Obama negotiated. But they've been very slow um, and they've stonewalled, as you said. So what do you think is going on with the U.S.? Have you And have you had any interaction with them that has given you a window into what their mindset is? No, I only hear from others, but they haven't moved slowly. They haven't moved at all. It's not that they are moving slowly. The United States is imposing the same barbaric and inhumane maximum pressure sanctions on Iran today as uh, was imposed during Trump. There's no difference between Biden and Trump. They're the same. Just like they're the same almost everywhere else on this globe. But uh, the, what, what, is, what is I think perhaps most important is that during the last couple of days of the negotiations, the Europeans and the Americans were not discussing sanctions at all with Iran. They were focused on capping Iran's nuclear program. So they were saying, no, let's leave the sanctions. But the Iranians are not stupid. The Iranians know that if they negotiate away their nuclear capabilities, their nuclear program, then they have no leverage anymore. They're not going to give away their leverage because they know that the Europeans and the Americans have no intention of taking, of, you know, of, of letting go of the throats of women and children in Iran. They have no intention of that. Their objective is to make people suffer as much as possible, as much as they can get away with. So during the last couple of days, they stonewalled completely about negotiating the different sanctions and the different types of sanctions and how they can be removed and what, how can the, their removal be verified? Because that's another problem. One of the mistakes I think that Iran made was in the 2015 agreement, there was a verification process for the Iranian side. If Iran wanted to halt certain aspects of its nuclear program, there was a mechanism, it was the IAEA. It was the International Atomic Energy Agency. They could verify, yes, Iran stopped doing this. Yes, Iran stopped doing that. No, Iran is continuing with this and so on. But there was no verification process to see if the Americans and Europeans were abiding by their commitments, which they were not. Which were they? They were not. So the Iranians say there's a lot to talk about. It's not just removing sanctions. 
it's all it's also about proving that you're actually move, removing sanctions, proving that you actually have the intention to remove sanctions. Because the European and American elites, they are utterly dishonest and they are utterly inhumane. They have no humanity at all whatsoever. They've shown it across the board in this region. And I don't want to waste your time or the time of your viewers. You've been to Syria. I've, I've been to Syria many times. I've been to Iraq many times. I've been to Lebanon many times. We've, we've, been, we've all been around and your viewers know more or less what's going on. So I don't have to, uh, you know, read off of a list for everyone. So basically during the last two days, all they were focusing on was the Iranian nuclear program. Whereas they left, they violated the deal, they reimposed maximum pressure sanctions. Iran, and then another thing that I forgot to say, which is really, really, really important. All the things I say, I keep saying they're important. But another thing that's really important is that Iran even now is abiding by the deal. How? When the Americans and the Europeans left and they started crushing people, the Iranians stayed and continued. And then they decreased their commitments and then later on they stopped abiding by their commitments. Iran is allowed to do so in accordance with articles 26 and 36 of the nuclear deal to reciprocate. If the other side does not abide by its commitments, Iran is allowed to do so. So Iran, when it decreased its commitments and then ultimately end abiding by its commitments was doing it so in accordance with the deal. But when you watch the Western media, you, when you read the Western media, they're talking about bringing Iran back to the table. The only country that stayed at the table was Iran and the Russians and the Chinese tried their best to stay at the table, but the Europeans and the Americans left. The Americans have of course tore up the agreement, but the Europeans left the table as well. The Europeans were in violation of the deal. So they have, and then when you read their statements, they are the same 19th century arrogant imperial master. Uh, they're the same 19th century imperial master that we read about in historical texts when we study Orientalism when we, and when we study about these leaders of old. They're the same people. They're no different. But again, again, but again, much more hypocritical and much more sophisticated in, in presenting their uh, exceptionalism and their their belief in their own superiority. You mentioned Russia and China, so I want to ask you about that. The way U.S. officials are speaking now, they're suggesting that Russia and China are on their side. That Russia and China are frustrated with Iran's position in Vienna. I want to, I want to read to you from the Guardian, uh, a new article. Uh, the Guardian says U.S. officials claim Russia and China had been, quote, taken aback by the degree to which Iran had walked back its own compromises, unquote, from previous rounds of talks, as well as becoming more resolute about the demands it made of the U.S. and others. A senior U.S. official said, I think they do share a sense of disappointment, to put it diplomatically, at what Iran has chosen to do with the last several months of preparation for the talks, unquote. What do you think of that assessment from the U.S. of Russia and China's position, obviously uh, very key countries uh, in this whole process. Well, apparently the Russians and the Chinese don't have any way to convey their opinions on the matter. 
and it is for the Guardian and unnamed US sources to speak on their behalf. Uh, the Russians and the Chinese have not said any such thing at the negotiating table. Throughout this process, they were on Iran's side. Uh, the Chinese, in fact, were very criti critical of um, proliferation and what the Americans and the British and the Australians are doing. So the Russians and the Chinese have been very understanding. The Guardian, sadly, is just as much a mouthpiece of this collapsing empire as any other major media outlet in Europe and the United States. But let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, which even though it's nonsense, let's say for the sake of argument that the Russians and the Chinese uh, said what they said they did. And as I, I stress, they did not say such a thing and they are firmly supporting Iran's position that all sanctions must be removed. They said all sanctions must be removed. But let's pretend that the Americans and the, the Guardian is correct. Uh, so, and why did the Guardian have to speak to an American to an American official? Couldn't they find any Chinese officials anywhere? Um, okay, so the Chinese and the Russians are opposed to Iran's stance. Is Iran's stance immoral? Is Iran's stance illegal? Are Iran's demands outrageous? Are they unrealistic? Is it unrealistic for Iran to demand full compliance and verification for an agreement that the Americans and the Europeans and the, the Russians and the Chinese all signed up to? Forget uh, the fact that in, 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 the, in, the, in the, let's say, in an ideal world, they should pay hundreds of billions of dollars in compensation to the damage that they did to the Iranian economy. Even if Iran goes back to 2015, and I think the Iranian uh, team should use this as leverage, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. So even if Iran was to go back to, let's say the Iranian position going back to 2015, both, both sides, the Western regimes and Iran, uh, the Raisi the, uh, administration, both go back to 2015. What is so outrageous about this? What about what in the text that the Iranians, the draft text that the Iranians submitted is so uh, outrageous? What about them is a violation of the JCPOA? What they're upset about is the fact that this administra administration is saying, hold on, we're not going to appease you. The Americans and the Europeans always, when you when we were in school at school, when I was in when I was a child, in, in textbooks, you know, you've read them as well as I, in, in, in middle school or in high school or wherever, Americans read about appeasing Hitler, appeasement, the British appease Hitler and so on. The Europeans appease Hitler. Why would he, why should Iran appease the United States and the Europeans? We're strangling their people. Why? You signed a deal. We gave a lot in that deal. Many in Iran believe it's a bad deal. This administration doesn't believe it's a good deal, but they say we've signed up to the deal. We'll implement, we will agree to implement the deal in full. So regardless of the Russian and Chinese position, which is not in any way or form in, similar to what 
the guardian is claiming. But, but regardless of that, what's so strange and unrealistic and uh, outrageous about the Iranian position? A member of the Biden team is uh, a guy named Richard Nephew. He's the uh, deputy Iran envoy. And he wrote a book called The Art of Sanctions. And it was a, uh, based on his experience in helping to craft under Obama the uh, harsh U.S. sanctions that Obama imposed that uh, preceded the Iran nuclear deal. And Nephew in his book essentially brags about the destruction that he helped bring to Iran's economy. Uh, my colleague at the Gray Zone, Max Blumenthal, wrote a piece about this, which I'll link to with this segment. But I want to quote you some of what Nephew said. He talked about how uh, his program was, in his, in his words, a tremendous success. He says this, the result was, by most measures, a tremendous success. Iran's economy went from GDP growth of 3% to a 6.6% contraction between 2011 and 2012. Iranian unemployment and inflation remained in the double digits. In 2012, Iran's currency depreciated threefold in a matter of weeks, resulting in the hemorrhaging of Iranian hard currency reserves. And again, in Nephew's rendering this is a success, d d destroying a foreign country's or seriously hurting a foreign country's economy. And he goes on to give examples such as the price of chicken in Iran went up threefold. And he understands that the effects of this are felt by civilians, which he says is really the whole point of imposing pain. I'm wondering your, your comment on the fact that he's now a a senior member of the of the U.S. negotiating team, and I'm wondering if you could share with us just what this looks like at the local level. Uh, what experiences you've had when it comes to the impact of U.S. sanctions? Anything you've witnessed in terms of people you know or run into? Because so often in in the numbers, this the the sheer human toll gets overlooked. Well, he it's it's like Jack the Ripper writing a memoir about the art of what he did. He's, he's no bad, he's, he's far worse than Jack the Ripper because the, the crimes that he helped commit are infinitely greater, infinitely greater. My father is a physician. You know how hard it is when people call you at like 12 at night and say that like we're in a hospital and we don't have medicine, there's no medicine, and we don't, don't know what to do, this particular medicine that they need immediately. And you know how people are when, they, when they're desperate, even if there's like a 1% chance that this medicine will work, they'll, they'll try to, they'll sell their house for it to spare their husband or wife or child. Yes, he, he's Jack the Ripper. Jack, he, compared to him, Jack the Ripper is he he is a, he has a better place in hell definitely and, and which is the same with the whole administration these are truly evil people at the top in the United States these are truly evil people ruling in Europe and it's not just Iran the suffering that they cause in Cuba and Venezuela and Syria Lebanon Yemen good god how evil this is the most, Yemen is the most extraordinary act of evil in contemporary history. But you see British advisors and uh, basically running the Saudi Air Force, Thou in the th thousands of British advisors. You have American weapons, Canadian weapons, the nice liberal Canadian prime minister helping mass murder. This is what we're dealing with. So in Iran, 
And it's not just medicine. That's just something that I can explain to you easily. It's people losing their lives because the economy goes down, families destroyed, probably people committing suicide, women going into poverty and probably turning, possibly turning to prostitution to, to, to survive. So what, do you, what, what does one think happens when these things, when the, 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 the brutality of empire reaches such heights? I, in my, as I said, I traveled to Syria a lot. And I remember in like 2013 uh, and 14, in wealthy neighborhoods, uh, which I had been to before among other neighborhoods, they were telling me that like here you have, now you have uh, local prostitutes. And these are women who live, you know, they, they lived, uh, they were upper middle class or they were middle class, but now they've, that was 2013 and 14, not 2021. That was before the Caesar Act. So these are monsters and the, the, the name, the art of sanctions. I mean, they make Trump look human. At least Trump is honest about it. To, to, make, to make murdering people an art, it's like Jack the Ripper explaining to us what he did and how he did it or some other serial killer or some other rapist and murderer. It's, it's, it's truly disgusting. But you know that's, how, that's the upside down world we live in. That is the upside down world that we're stuck in with this, this mentality of, of supremacism and special rights and privileges. When, when the United States government and European governments think they're more civilized, they call themselves the civilized world. They're the most uncivilized but, and the free world. When they see themselves as superior and they look at the rest of us as somehow being inferior, that justifies their oppression. When they undercut our humanity they, they, and they dehumanize us, when they make us seem like children or, or, or una unable to govern or backward, or, all of these tropes are there to justify uh, their actions. So when they destroy Iraq, they don't say we committed crimes against humanity. They say that was a mistake. And then you see, you know, President Bush rehabilitated by the liberals and the liberal media, and now he's a good guy because of Trump. Bush, even though I, I despise Trump immensely, especially because of the, his murder of the, of the people who fought against ISIS and led the fight against ISIS, General Soleimani and uh, Abu Mahdi al-Mahandis and, and others, but Bush, killed many more people than Trump ever did. So it's this natural hierarchy that they believe in, that their leaders, you know, they make mistakes. Like in Libya, Libya is a, Libya, Libya is a slave state now. Who, is anyone going to go to jail for it? Of course not. Libya, Syria, in 2001, Al-Qaeda attacks the United States. In 2011, Al-Qaeda's working with the United States, as you know, uh, according to Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, in his email to Hillary Clinton at the beginning of 2012. It's just a decade, probably less than a decade when they began cooperating again. That's, that's how the system works. So, you know, the art of, the art of killing people, that's something that only an American politician could think of.
And let me ask you to comment on the role of Israel here. The Israeli leadership has been urging the U.S. to pull out of these talks, accusing Iran of blackmail. Meanwhile, you know, more revelations are coming out about Israel's uh, assassinations of Iranian nuclear scientists. There was a cyber attack on Iranian gas stations recently that led to long fuel lines across the country. And many believe that that was carried out by Israel. What's your sense of um, what Israel has been doing to Iran and how influential Israel has been over U.S. policy? The attacks that were carried out against Iran were all joint operations. They, they were all carried out with, with U.S. help, with U.S. assistance, with uh, U.S. Um, backing, logistical support, everything. Whether, whether whether it was an assassination or a bomb explosion or a cyber attack. Nothing I should have mentioned too, also, also, sorry, uh, attacking ships that are trying to bring Iranian fuel to Syria to help break the U.S.-led blockade of Syria. Right. Well, that's that's outside of Iran's borders. But w with regards to the ships, it's, it's interesting that these European governments, when Iran was sending ships to Syria with fuel, and it wasn't fuel for Assad's automobile. It wasn't fuel for President Assad's um, neighbor's car. It was fuel for people to drive around in, in Damascus. It was fuel so that people could survive and live. Ordinary people could get on with their lives and, and survive these horrible circumstances that the EU and the Americans have created for them, first by supporting these terrorists and extremists and, and uh, Wahhabi terrorists, murderers, and then through these crushing sanctions. So the Iranians would send fuel to Syria for humanitarian purposes, and the, and the Israeli regime, the apartheid regime, would strike these ships. So, when these ships would be hit, you wouldn't hear anything about it in the Western media, or you wouldn't hear any human rights organization or shipping uh, official or the UN complain about international shipping and safety and security and free trade and that nothing. It's okay if it's done to Iranians, ships that are passing by on a humanitarian mission. But God forbid if after the Israelis strike a few ships belonging to the Iranians, the Iranians begin to hit back at Iranian ships, God forbid. That's, that's, that's evil. That's really evil. And then suddenly you have Western media, uh, in, uh, government officials, shipping industry officials, all expressing fear about, about the state of uh, trade and and shipping in, in our region. Again, it's it's all the same. It's all it's it's out for us, it's absolutely normal. It's like almost every day when you 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 check the news or you in, in, in this part of the world, you well in, in my part of the world, not here in Vienna, but you know that like almost every day a Palestinian is killed, a, a some a Palestinian child, a Palestinian girl, a Palestinian teenage boy, Palestinian man. It's, a, it's regular every day, but you will never hear it in the West. We know, we know we're used to it. It happens all the time. But in, in the Western media, you don't hear anything about it because Black Lives Matter only matter 
for some people in the United States, for some, uh, sorry, not people, some elites in the United States, if it's inside the United States. But outside of the United States, we're all fair game. So we're going to wrap. I'm curious uh, if you have um, any predictions on where this is going. Do you think, do you foresee the U.S. backing down? Uh, it shouldn't, from the outside, you know, Biden campaigned on returning to the Iran nuclear deal. He said, although, of course, even back then he created some wiggle room for himself because that's what Democrats do. Do you expect the U.S. to drop its hard line and return to the deal? And any other closing thoughts that you want to leave us with on uh, on the future of these talks? Well, you use a really good word. It's the hard, they're the hardliners, not the Iranians. The Iranians are saying, okay, let's go to the, let's go back to the nuclear deal. That's, they keep saying the Iranian hardliner president. What's so, what's so hard? What's, what's, what's it like to be a hardliner? What does it mean to be a hardliner when you are saying, okay, let's, let's go back to the deal, despite all you've done to us. But what I would say is that the world is changing fast, Aaron, very fast. Look at the Russians and the United States, look at China and the United States, Ukraine, Taiwan, artificial intelligence, the, the new Cold War. Look at US allies in our region that are floundering, the Saudis in their genocidal war, the Emiratis in their genocidal war, and Yemen have failed. And other US allies in the region aren't doing very well either. Iran has many problems, but the maximum pressure campaign has failed. The Americans may be able to create unrest here and there in Iran. I'm sure they're working on it as we speak in their Persian language media, the BBC Persian, VOA Persian, Deutsche Welle Persian, and the hundreds of other outlets that they have in Persian will be working day and night to create unrest and, you know, or to use natural unrest to create some violence uh, to, to make it turn violent. I'm sure they'll be working on it this day and night, but the Iranians have succeeded in, in, uh, in defeating the maximum pressure campaign. The economy has normalized, even though it's tough, but it's now, it's, these are, it's the new norm, normal, and the economy is beginning to grow. So the Iranians have toughened up, as I said, very difficult for ordinary Iranians, but the United States has trouble across the board and the United States has trouble at home. And these in, in Europe, they have trouble, which I don't want to get into, but the United States, political divisions, economic, serious economic problems, serious social problems, all these you know better than I. And then, and then there's a the question of whether Trump will come back. So if, the, if Trump comes back to office and if they win in 2022, then what happens to the nuclear deal? What assurances will the United States give to Iran that they won't tear up the agreement again? They expect Iran, I don't, I, I suppose, to do things with their nuclear program, and then suddenly they just leave again. So the Iranians expect assurances. But in any case, the Americans are facing all sorts of difficulties, both at home, difficulty, both at home and abroad. If the Americans want to cut costs, then they should do a deal. We saw how they had to flee Afghanistan, and we saw the symbolic defeat in Kabul, the retreat in Kabul, how it was carried out, how shambolic it was. The American, this is not the United States of 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
if the United States wants to be able to carry on, then it has to, it should do a deal if it's smart. If it wants to keep its, because Iran will make sure that American expenses will remain high in this region. If the Americans want to make things tough for Iran, Iran will make it tough for the Americans. I have no doubt about that. Iran and its allies across the board. It can, it's not a one-way street. So if the Americans want to cut costs and be reasonable, the door is open. It's up to them to decide. It's up to the Europeans to decide. But if they don't want to be reasonable, the Iranians are not going to sit pretty for them. It's not going to happen. So do I think the Americans will strike a deal? I'm not optimistic about anything that comes from Washington or European capitals. But time will tell. And I think as, as we move forward, they'll see that time is not on their side for a host of different reasons, including those that I've mentioned, but also Iran's nuclear program is, is, is expanding and it's developing. And the Iranians are doing this on purpose to put pressure on them to, to stop killing people, to stop murdering people, to stop murdering children, to stop murdering women, to stop murdering fathers. That's basically what Iran is doing. It's a smart move. And uh, you know the, the Americans should not expect the Iranians to, to compromise, as I said at the beginning. Iran compromised and the compromise is the JCPOA. The Americans and the Europeans shouldn't expect Iran to compromise beyond the JCPOA. Mohammad Morandi is professor at the University of Tehran and an advisor to the Iranian delegation in Vienna right now on the restoration of the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA. Mohammad Morandi, thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me. 